We are on Sunday nights about ready to finish our consideration of unswerving faith and hope as we talk about and think about our uh, own journey, I want to challenge you to think a little bit, uh, hopefully about this a little bit differently tonight. I originally entitled this lesson, The Cloud, and the reason that I entitled it as such has to, you'll see quickly when we look at the verse, it's our theme verse, but I changed it as I began working through it and preparing for it and thinking about where we were going to head, and not just in the lesson, but as a series. Our theme verse has been Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, where the writer there says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Uh, I hope that message, that verse, has been uh, deeply impressed upon your heart and hopefully your life. As we think about, I don't know how old you were when you were baptized. Uh, when you began your journey with Jesus, I was about 12, and I can remember very clearly parts of that night there. It was a Sunday night service, and uh, how excited I was, how ready I was to take the plunge, to begin, to start. I, I was never more sure of something uh, as I was that night about my decision to follow Jesus. And yet, as ready as I was in that moment to begin, there was no way I could have known, nor could have you, where that journey would take you and how that journey would change you. And that's what we've endeavored to look at through these stories that we've been studying from people of all walks of life and all different levels of faith. At some point in their story, they put their hope into something unswerving, to something immovable, someone who would not let them down. Regardless of where they had been, regardless of what they had done. And so as we, <clears throat> I think this is lesson number 40 or something that I've done of this series this year, as we think about gathering if you can, in your mind's eye, a room full of those 35, 40 folks that we have studied this past year, their stories, their journey, if they could be gathered in a room and you would walk in uh, right before you made that commitment, that decision uh, to put on Christ and to begin walking with him, not just with him, but in obedience to him, serving him as Lord. What would they tell you? What advice would they give? What coaching would they offer to this new runner, this new person who is going to begin tonight this journey? I think they would have a lot to say. Uh, heaven only knows what they might say to you and I. But... My hope is that we can take from their lives and their lessons found in the pages of Scripture and begin to realize that it's, that it's the same God that they had their hope in whom we have our hope in on this journey. And so it is tonight and next Sunday night we're going to talk about our journey 
our story, our race, and the next week we're going to look about how God has used all of our stories. I hope it's been helpful to you. Tonight, we begin with Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The writer there says these simple words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so, so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. When I thought about that, that, that room, that cloud of witnesses, those people who've gone before us in this race, I had a wonderful picture of Abraham and Isaac and, and David and, and Noah and Jonah and, and, and many others that we've discussed in, from this pulpit and in our studies elsewhere. But it occurred to me, as much as encouragement and lessons that we learn from their lives... Um, it really comes down to the choice of how you are going to choose to run your race. Of how you are going to take the first step and how committed you will be to the race. So hopefully tonight this will help you a little bit as you think about that. I don't know where you are in it. If, whether you haven't begun, whether you've begun, just have maybe have put on Christ this year or very recently. Or maybe you've been a Christian for decades now. I hope that you'll give always a serious thought to your race in Christ. The first thing you've got to remember is that this race is a lifelong thing. And in order to partake of it, in order to last, you've got to be willing to do the first thing, and that is to run light. Professional runners... Remove every ounce of unnecessary clothing. Now, you would not think that mere ounces would make a difference in a race. But when they're running and they're devoted to moving as quickly as possible, they want everything that could hold them back removed. Uh, the, the lightest clothing is you know, the modern running shorts. They're pretty, they're pretty small. They're pretty light. They're designed to be that way. They don't want to do anything to hold the runner back. Running shoes are often uh, the, the, their competition to, to get the ounces down to the tenth, uh, to, to remove as much weight so that they just have enough power to grip the road and not hold the runner back or weigh him down. I have yet to see the race with the runner running with a backpack of stuff or with a, a wallet full of, of his bank statements and his 401k statements, he's not holding on to that stuff. He doesn't have uh, heavy coats, and he's not prepared for, you know, preparing for all the potential weather conditions he might face along the journey. He's just beginning with what he has. And his goal is to get that down to as light as possible. 
when the Hebrew writer talks about it, he says, I want you to remove the weight and the sin which clings so closely, to lay it aside, the ESV says. A weight can be defined as a burden, an an anxiety, a struggle, a difficulty. In CR terms, we might call it a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up. And God can use all of those things, and if you've got those things, that doesn't preclude you from running the race. You will run the race far better as you learn to lay those things aside. And certainly sin, be it something that you're doing that's violating what God wants for your race, or something that you're not doing that you need to be, God wants you to lay aside the weights and the sin and to lay your burden down. How can this be done? You know, Sometimes we can focus on laying aside the sins and the weights and think, well, that's up to me. And to some degree, I understand that. Uh, but if you're struggling with something and you've got that weight on you and you keep struggling with it, the difficulty can be very discouraging. Because you think, I just have to try harder. I just have to do better. I just have to, to uh, do something I'm not doing. And it will drive you mad. Jesus is really where your burdens need to be laid down. In fact, my, the more I think about it, the more I believe that's the only one to who we can give our burdens. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, our Savior said these words, Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It doesn't mean rest as in you don't have anything to do anymore. It means you don't have to carry the burden that you've been carrying. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What did Jesus carry with him in this world? Physically, of course, he didn't carry very many things at all. He said, he told his disciples he had no place to lay his head. He wasn't, you know, he, he as I know that he commanded his disciples to pray, give us today our daily bread. He was trusting in the Lord for the physical provisions, which meant that he didn't have to carry around a a ton of stuff with him. He was light. He was mobile. But I think it goes beyond that. He was also able to put his full trust and his hope in his father. And he knew where he was headed. He knew the, 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 the hill of Calvary always loomed. He knew that was his purpose. Surely what a burden that could have been to know how he would suffer physically and certainly spiritually. And yet, he continually laid that burden down. Did he want to face it? No. But he was willing to because he loved us. And so when he was tempted to carry the burden, where do we find our Savior? Often withdrawing to lonely places to pray. That's what he says, learn from me. Jesus had burdens too. And he laid them down in his father's arms and commends us to do the same. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. What is the yoke? My opinion, it's self-denial. It's your greatest burden and weight of all the things you carry. Your greatest one is the person you see in your mirror every day. Uh, The person who's staring back at you is the source of most of your troubles and most of your difficulties and your trials. 
And try, Christ calls you to lay your burden down. And another way to think about it is to lay yourself down. <clears throat> he said in Mark chapter 8, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his very soul? Or what can a man give in return for his soul? The good news is it's the easiest burden to lay down. Because you're the one in control of yourself. To lay yourself down, to lay down what you want, your desires, your dreams, your hopes, and to put them into his hands. At the same time, it's also the hardest burden to lay down. Because yourself, I mean, that's you. You've been the the problem all along. And it's pretty hard to lay down yourself and what you want. I read somewhere that it's... Uh, Olympic athletes, it's, it's very amazing to pay attention to how they train. And we talked about runners and all of the ways in which they lighten themselves. <clears throat> but Olympians who compete and who are the best of the best of the best, to get that way, to get the notoriety and the fame, to be able to compete in the world spotlight once every four years, they will do lots of things. The average Olympian will train four hours a day. 310 days a year, and they will train most of the time between the Olympics. An Olympic diver, I I read, will dive about 3,000 times before he'll dive in competition. A runner will make uh, roughly 240,000 laps before he competes. Swimmers will train an average of 10 miles a day at 5 miles an hour. Marathon runners will average 160 miles a week at 10 miles an hour. Why do they do that? I mean, that that means a lot of sacrifice. They're giving up their time. Certainly, it's an investment of of some sort financially. Uh, They are, by one estimation, they have done more by 7 a.m. than most people will have done all day. And we'd all love to burn that many calories by 7 a.m., But are you willing to make that sacrifice? We'd all love to go to the Olympics and be in the spotlight. But that didn't happen by accident. The only way they were willing to, to, or ready to get there, is that they were willing to sacrifice themselves. To lay down everything they wanted to do and that their friends wanted them to do and that their families wanted them to do. I I would imagine Michael Phelps' mother... uh, was often telling his friends, he can't, Michael's in the pool today. They do all of that to win the race. With that in mind, keep. let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and following. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown, or in our case a medal, that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. There's a purpose behind your journey. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. We're all on a journey. And that journey is one where we have to take seriously the desire to win the race. Now, winning, this is where the illustration falls short. Because winning in our race is finishing the race. It's not that me and Drew Hendricks are up racing against each other and I'm trying to beat him to heaven. Right? Exactly. So our goal is to finish the race, to run the race well, so that when you arrive on the other side, when you cross the finish line, you are met with the simple words, well done, good and faithful servant. That you've run with everything you have and everything you've got. So that leads us to our second point. You must prepare to run long. Of course, we all know there are sprinters and distance runners. Sprinters can go hard and fast, and they are quick, but they don't usually last very long. And there are certain occasions where sprinting is fine. But in the Christian race, it is designed to be a marathon, not a sprint. And in order to run a marathon, as I can tell you from absolutely no experience, you've got to pace yourself. You cannot go all out on mile one. You've got 25.2 more miles to go. And runners often describe, as they go along that journey, hitting the wall. And this is the, this is the point where your body is screaming at your mind, Stop. This is crazy. We were not designed to do this. No one else is doing it. You're not fast enough. You're not good enough. You didn't train hard enough. Things hurt. Let's stop and have a cheeseburger. There's a Chick-fil-A. Whatever. You hit this wall of reasons that you cannot finish. You hit the wall and you slow down and you, you just, you're almost fast walking. You have to push through. That's the only, that's the only solution to, when you hit the wall. Hebrews 11 is a list of distance runners. They are not focused on the temporary troubles, the persecutions, the difficulties of today. They're, they're not held back when they hit the wall. They know that whatever burdens and obstacles and difficulties they face, however great they are, that they will pass. No, theirs was a longer race. They didn't even see the finish line in their lives. The finish line, by the way, is Jesus. They didn't get to see him. They only believed that there was a coming Savior. Now, at least we have the luxury of knowing that someone has finished the race. But they just waited in hope. They couldn't see Jesus, but they were certain of him. They didn't have a person that they could point to, but they believed that he existed. That he would come and that he would reward all of those who genuinely sought after him. And we have the same struggle, but instead of looking ahead in hope, we look backwards in hope. 
We look back toward the race that he ran, toward the life that he lived. We believe that he existed, that he ran the perfect race. We believe that he came into the world as an infant, that he lived a perfect life, and that he died a death worthy enough to perfectly atone for our sin. And we, like all of our ancestors in the cloud, look ahead longfully to his return. Now, if you look at the end of the chapter, I reference Hebrews 11. Go to verse 32 if you're following along. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, this is kind of what I call the the afterthought list, if you will. These are the characters, some of which we don't even really know too well. What more shall I say? For time would not would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight, to flight. Women received back their dead. By the resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of, the, of whom the world was not worthy. Man, what a compliment. They don't get a listing in Hebrews 11, but they absolutely got to me one of the best compliments of those who have run on ahead of us. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. How in the world could they keep their hope? Going through all of that, the answer is that their hope was not in anything of this world. They really believed it. They, they truly understood they were just traveling through. They didn't put any hope or substance here. In the long race of faith, be a tortoise. And not a hair. Christianity has gone through lots of phases. And in our modern world, it's easy to see. Uh, there are many fast and exciting phases of Christianity. But Christianity has never been a sprinter's race. It is always designed to be slow and steady. I read that story with, uh, with Tyler when he was younger and now Grace. And they love it. Dad loves it because it's a very short story. And they love it because the moral is easy to remember. At the end of the story, the wise old fox says, slow and steady. Slow and steady wins the race. And the older I get, the more I love that story. Because I think it's true in what kind of spouse you are, in what kind of parent you are. In, in how you plan for the future. But certainly, most importantly, in your walk with God, it is slow and steady that wins the race. It doesn't happen overnight. 
It doesn't happen easily. But it's slow. It's with time and patience and hope and faith and trust in the same God that they look to. The race does not belong to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but rather to those who persevere in the race and keep their hands lifted high in prayer during the battle. Third, the only way to run well is with him. Now, I joke about not having run many races, and that's true. But over my life, I have had phases where I went into the crazy and thought I would try to to get in shape and to run more than I did. And the only way I did that, that I found that was successful, uh, whether it was showing up to the Y regularly or running around a path outside, the only way I found success to do that was to find someone to run with. Uh, There is something about having a running partner. I don't know if it's accountability, encouragement, mutual suffering. I'm not sure exactly what it is about having somebody by your side. But it makes the race easier. You remember you're not alone. That you're not running this. Though you're running the long race, you are not running it by yourself. You're running with people who've gone on before you, who've now finished. You're running with those who are with you. And these, by the way, are the people that are sitting in this room tonight. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you are running ahead of those who've not yet begun. Maybe your children. uh, Maybe their children. But we run with others. Philippians chapter 3. Paul wrote this. Chapter 3, verse 12 of Philippians Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal For the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus who has called me heavenward. Let us, those of us who are mature, think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory and their shame, their minds are on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, you do not run alone. So when you let go, it means focusing on Him. And as you focus on Him, the things of earth grow strangely dim. You're able to let go of your, of your past. You're able to deny yourself. You're able to ignore your enemies. You're able to remember where your home truly is. You long for his return and the coming transformation at the resurrection. Paul would say later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He is the only way this can be done. Only in Jesus Christ can our past be washed as white as snow. Only through the pure blood can we be washed. Only through Him can we be rescued from our sinful and selfish nature. Only in Him will the enemy's head be crushed. Only in Him will we ever find true eternal security. Only in Him are the dead raised to life. Psalm chapter 18 verse 28 says, For it is you who can light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. And by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all of those who take refuge in Him. He's the only way. The only way to run well is with Him. Trying to do it on your own, you're going to get frustrated and discouraged. Trying to do it without His family, the church, you're going to find yourself hurting and struggling and wishing, wondering if there was a better way. The victory belongs to Him. He is where our hope lies. He is where the journey begins. And by the way, He is where our transformation happens. He is the only way. He is the completion of our hope. You see, all these stories we've talked about and learned about over the year have never been about them. They've been about Him. And He's the only way that we're able to run well and to finish well. So as you are on your journey, I hope that you will remember that you are not alone, that you need to lighten up, you need to let go of some things, and to run long, to prepare for it being a hard journey, and to pace yourself, and to remember to run with Him each and every day. Because He loves you, He wants you to finish, and He wants you to be able to look you in the eye on that day and say, well done. Tonight, if you do not believe that you are ready to face Him as He looks you in the eye, If you have not put him on in baptism, if you haven't started, uh, we'd love to help you do that. Or maybe you're struggling on your race and you need our prayers and our encouragement. One of our shepherds to to talk with you and to pray with you and the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We'd love to help you with that as well. Whatever we we can do, we would love to do. Uh, Next week, we'll come back for our last lesson in this series. Uh, Whatever needs you have tonight, please come as together we stand and sing.